The CDC reported in mid-April that more than 50% of Americans above the age of 18 have received at least one shot of a COVID-19 vaccine, but there are still many others who don't want to get vaccinated. Concerns around the speed at which the vaccines were developed, along with questions about the government's involvement, the risks for pregnant women, and skepticism about whether the vaccine will work on coronavirus variants have all been circulating around the country. Meanwhile, conspiracy theories and misinformation circulating on social media within certain communities have boosted concerns and myths about vaccines. And herein lies the challenge for healthcare personnel trying to convince a wary portion of the public that the COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective. On this episode of Beyond the White Coat, we'll talk with healthcare providers and experts to share accurate information about the COVID-19 vaccines. This conversation was recorded on May 4th, 2021, and all data and information are accurate at the time of recording. This is the second of three episodes we'll be sharing as part of a AAMC project funded by a cooperative agreement from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Dr. Rosha McCoy, the AAMC's Senior Director for Advancing Clinical Leadership and Quality and the principal investigator for the AAMC Cooperative Agreement with the CDC to promote confidence in the COVID-19 vaccines. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Xanthia Wiley, an infectious diseases expert and director of antimicrobial stewardship at Emory University School of Medicine in Georgia. Dr. Eric Bonner, a primary care physician and medical director from Biden Health in Eastern North Carolina. Nurse practitioner Mamie Williams, soon to be Dr. Williams, as she's finishing her PhD in nursing, uh, who serves as the Director of Nurse Safety and Wellbeing for Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Tennessee, and the AAMC's very own Dr. Ross McKinney, our Chief Scientific Officer and an expert in infectious diseases. We're fortunate to have all of them as advisors for our vaccine confidence project with the CDC. So thank you for joining me and uh, we're gonna dive right in. So in all the conversations that healthcare providers may be having with their patients and communities right now, so many of these conversations are around vaccines and uh, some of them are around concerns that folks have about vaccines. And it's important really to not dismiss these concerns um, uh, that people may be having. And let's be honest, we're all navigating this with our friends and family too. Uh, we must really work to understand why people believe what they believe. Um, and sometimes some of those beliefs may not be based in the current science, uh, but we also have to acknowledge that some of the science and medical recommendations regarding COVID-19, because it's a novel virus, have changed over time. And uh, that may contribute to some of the confusion so let's really face these questions and concerns head on um, and, and really think about this together. So I'm gonna ask all of you to tell me what you think um, is the most common or the most difficult myth or concern that you've had to deal with. Um, maybe we'll start with Xanthia on that one. Absolutely, so, um, so, so Rosha, uh, we a lot of the questions that I I receive um, have to do with how quickly the vaccines were were developed, and um, and that that's the vast majority of the questions that I receive. Is this safe? This seems to have happened, um, you know, with, within nine months. How do I know that it wasn't developed so so quickly? 
um, you know, were any steps skipped. So what I always start start off by telling people is um, that their questions and their concerns are totally valid, that these are great questions to ask, and that a lot of this work that um, was done on the, especially the messenger RNA technology, that this work started way before we even knew what what COVID was, before um, b- before COVID was even um, a, a thing. So 10 years ago, up to 10 years ago, a lot of this work was being done um, with messenger RNA techn- technology on the Ebola um, um, vaccine and um, with um, MERS as well, so that we had some, some basis um, um, to start off with, with respects to the um, to the vaccines, and that most importantly, none of the steps were skipped. That the FDA goes through, you know, several different phases, and that none of these these phases were were skipped, and that a lot of the um, the research was done on young, healthy people to start, and then it was transitioned to, you know, um, older people and um, other people with with medical conditions. So it's, you know, it's all about ensuring and making sure that everyone knows that did it happen quickly? Yes. But were any steps skipped? Absolutely not. Very helpful. Very helpful to hear. Ross, do you have anything that to add to that? I know you're probably hearing this a lot as well from lots of different folks. Uh, well, there are a couple of myths that, that I pay attention to. One is that this is experimental. And, and as we've just heard, it's not. You know, it's now been given to more than 100 million people. So it's not an experiment. Um, and it wasn't that rushed as we've heard. Um, also, is it contagious or is it going to stick around in my body? And the answer is no, it degrades. So the vaccine is there and then it's gone, but the immune response lasts. Uh, and then there seems to be this concern that at some point there's going to have to be a booster. And that doesn't worry me because there are lots of vaccines that have required boosters. Um, but I often get that as a question. Will there need to be a booster? And, and even if the answer is yes, sometime in the future there will be, uh, that doesn't sway me from suggesting that it's a good vaccine to get now. Great. Thank you. Um, Mamie, anything specific that you hear all the time that you want to share? Yes, absolutely, um, Rosha. So I was able to volunteer as a contact tracer beginning in March 2020 for a full year, um, speaking to Middle Tennesseans who were either recently diagnosed with COVID or had been in close contact with someone. And I often heard, um, despite the person being positively diagnosed as, uh, as COVID positive, that they did not believe COVID was real and that they did not consider it anything they needed to concern themselves with, despite the positive diagnosis. So they would refute that the diagnosis was, you know, accurate. Somehow it was, um, you know, inaccurate. So having to talk to folks about their symptoms and how their symptoms were, in fact, a representation of them having COVID and um, having repeat conversations with them with when unfortunately their illness would progress and they would have more severe symptoms. And so just having to work with folks to have them believe that the illness they were currently diagnosed with actually existed. And then going on to have to speak with them about the need to, yes, you have been infected with it, but 
you will still need to vaccinate so that you're not able to spread it and that you're not able to contract it. Although it's a small number of folks who contract the illness a second time so that they wouldn't be at risk for that. So that, that was- Yeah, awesome. I think working with folks who don't even believe that COVID is real, it's extremely difficult to have a vaccine conversation with them and trying to come to really understand why they got to where they were, I think is a really important piece and spending that time to try to understand. Eric, I know you work in rural Eastern North Carolina. Are there, are there things that are unique maybe to that population that you've heard that are a little bit different or not? Um, I wouldn't say anything unique. I think we all get pretty much the same questions and concerns um, across the country. Um, I would say one of the things that I battle at this point are people's fears of what they've heard um, from other people who've gotten a vaccine, potential side effects and that kind of thing. And especially now with some of the concerns about Johnson and Johnson. And so I like to let people know that, you know, you're gonna feel your immune system working and you are going to know for the most part that you got a vaccine and that's okay. Some people may have fatigue or, um, a little bit of fever and chills like I had, um, but they don't last long. Mine lasted about 12 hours. Um, I've heard a couple of people say a couple of days. We've seen COVID arm, as we call it, which is harmless, just a little annoying. Um, but none of these are as significant as some of the issues we see when people get COVID and trying to make sure that we not only look at risk, but also look at benefit. And um, there are not any patients that I've ever seen that the risk of the vaccines outweighed the benefits. So we pretty much recommend it for about everybody. And um, the vaccine is safe. That's why we all got it and why we recommend it for our families. Yeah, I think that that emphasis on the fact that we as physicians and nurses and other healthcare personnel are lining up to get this vaccine and pretty high rates of vaccination, particularly among physicians and other clinical folks. So I think that's a really good point to make. Say a little bit about COVID arm, because I know that um, it's coming up more lately that I've heard of a little bit more just because we're giving more vaccines. So say a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I've had a few people that have had a little swelling and um, soreness of their arm, mostly soreness. Um, I try to educate people on how the vaccine works. So as um, Dr. McKinney said earlier, the this shot works in your shoulder muscle. It's not, it doesn't last long enough to really get into your circulation and all of that, especially Johnson, or Pfizer and Moderna. And so, um, when that immune reaction is happening in the shoulder, then you may have some soreness. And like I said, that's okay. I usually tell people if it's really bothering you after a day, you can take a Tylenol and use some ice, um, but it does go away. It's not a big deal, just a little annoying, but that's the extent of it. Um, if it is something of concern, call your doctor, but they're pretty much gonna tell you take a Tylenol and put some ice on it. Um, and we'll see you again in a few weeks, it'll be gone. <laughs> and some people are getting that a little bit even later, right? Some COVID arms, some swelling even a little bit later, which is also totally normal and tends to go away with time. So, yeah. So, Mamie, one of the things we tend to hear um, is that these vaccines weren't tested on people like me, and I want to wait till more people get the vaccine. Um, is that something you've heard? And, and if so, how do you respond to that? Uh, absolutely, Russia. It is something that I hear. 
And <clears throat> I hear it frequently. And as Anthea pointed out, the vaccine has been given to more than here in the U.S., 240 um, million folks. There, 240 million doses have been distributed. So about 30% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. And at least 50% of the U.S. population has had at least one dose. So it's been given to a number of folks. It's very safe. There are mechanisms in place that um, monitor um, the vaccine once it's administered to ensure that people are safe. Um, a, a great example, as um, Eric pointed out, is the Johnson & Johnson, where after 6.8 million doses, um, six 18 to 48-year-old females developed blood clots, and it was um, removed from the market so that they could further, you know, study it. And that is all a part of the ongoing monitoring that happens after folks are vaccinated. So it's been shown to be both safe and effective. It's been given to a number of um, Americans, and it was tested, as Anthea pointed out, extensively across, um, as an example, the Pfizer um, was tested in Germany, Argentina, Brazil, the US, and South Africa, and about 30% of the um, participants were um, ethnic, uh, racial and ethnic minorities um, in US terms and amongst um, folks who were uh, 50 and older as well. So it was tested across a wide swath of folks, across a wide demographic and shown to be as effective and as safe in all of those different demographics. So um, just one of those things we have to deal with and just be prepared to answer, you know, anytime we hear it from folks. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that point you made that millions of doses are also now being given and all of that is being monitored very carefully. Um, and we're getting data from that, sh again, showing very significant safety profile is very important. Let's talk about J&J. Do you think that that has created more concerns in your practice, Eric? What Are you hearing that from folks? Um. My practice is tough as an example, because most of my patients were already vaccinated, but in the community, I do hear more concern. Um, but it has been an interesting opportunity to explain to people why their concern is a little bit misguided. Um, because as Mamie said, the, the pause was proof of how closely these vaccines are watched and scrutinized. And so for everybody who's ever had a concern about them, that pause is like confirmation that it's going to be okay. Um, the chances of having the clotting that happened with Johnson & Johnson are slightly less than the chances of being hit by, hit by a falling satellite. And I am thankful that there is enough scrutiny that we say, hey, let's pause this for a little bit to make sure that all of our physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs um, know how to recognize this and how to treat it. Because that's really what the pause was all about. And, um, and I do believe that if Pfizer and Moderna weren't available, we probably wouldn't have paused it because then the risk wouldn't have outweighed the benefit. But um, when there are other options, it's okay to say, hey, let's stop this for 10 days. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page. It was the equivalent of a timeout in sports. And then we get it back and now we're doing it again and we're fine. Some of my family has gotten J&J &J after the pause um, because it, I, I still feel that the benefit of it outweighs the risk. 
That's a great analogy, like a timeout. I, I think that's a really good point that this is how science is supposed to work, right? It's we're supposed to study these issues. This happens with drugs, it happens with other medications and vaccines, and we watch that very carefully. And uh, information is fully available to everyone. And the treatment issues were the most, most pressing to stop and make sure people can identify it and treat it appropriately. So that was really, really helpful. Um, Ross, one of the things a lot of folks who are non-medical are now talking about herd immunity, right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about herd immunity. And um, some people saying that, you know, I'd rather get the get COVID and get immunity that way and, and achieve that in the population by actually getting the disease rather than the vaccine. So um, we heard a little bit of that early on. Um, even before the vaccines were developed. So what, what do you say to that? Oh, when people mention, oh, I'd rather get the virus, um, I just say, well, think about people who lived in Manaus, Brazil. Because in Manaus, Brazil, there was a large community who had had COVID with the original strains. Then the variant P1 came through, all those people got it again. And they got sick enough that many of them died. So, so it is far better to get the vaccine, which is protective against that P1 strain, than to just rely on uh, immunity. We also know that for people who have a relatively mild case, the immune reaction is not enormous, yet it almost always is against particularly the mRNA vaccines. Um, Johnson & Johnson also does a good job of kicking up a very good, what appears to be long lasting immune response. So um, that would be my response. Great, thank you, absolutely. Um, so Xanthia, what, what, one of the things we all, often hear with the flu vaccine, and now we're hearing it with the coronavirus vaccines, is um, I am worried about getting coronavirus from getting the vaccine. I know we touched on that a little bit, but I really want to focus on that one because I, I think we he keep hearing it even among healthcare personnel. I know we hear it for the flu vaccine as well. So can you talk a little bit about, I know the coronavirus vaccines are a little bit different from the flu vaccine even, but can you talk a little bit about what you say when you hear that? Absolutely, Rosha. So what I start off by saying is that definitively, without a doubt, this is not a live vaccine that there is absolutely no live virus present. And, you know, and, and I like to explain to people that with the messenger RNA, what you have is a blueprint. So the messenger RNA is a blueprint for your body to make a protein, just the protein, not, not the entire virus, to make that protein, then your body responds to that protein and appropriately thinks that it's actually the, the virus and that's what gives you the, the symptoms that you should actually expect. You know, what I tell people is if your arm was sore, you know, if you had some low-grade fevers, if you had a headache, this is totally to be expected and it lets you know that your vaccine is, is, is working appropriately. So I think that the key is, is being very definitive and saying, this is not a live vaccine. There are some that are live, but the COVID vaccines are not. Very helpful, thank you. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really important message to deliver because I do think we hear that quite a lot from, from folks. And, um, and then some people interpret the side effects as getting sick from the vaccine. So really important to, to make sure we're making those 
differentiating points. Um, now that the variance, that there seems to be a lot of focus uh, with the media and others about the variants. So there's some concern that the vaccines won't work in the variants. Um, Eric, is that something you're hearing among your patients? Are you hearing some of that? Um, I mean, yeah, most we, of yours are vaccinated, you said, but. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we do. Cause this is, I mean, that's the concern even for vaccinated people um, with like what we talked about before that we're gonna need boosters because of variants. Um, so I think that question is pretty common, um, but a few people are saying, you know, why do I need to get the vaccine if it's not going to work with the variants anyway? And so just trying to educate them on um, getting it and we'll cross the variant bridge when we get to it. But as far as the variants we have now, we do know that the vaccine works. Um, some of them may not work equally um, with all of the um, variants like the South African variants, for, variant, for instance, um, with Pfizer and Moderna, it doesn't create quite the same um, immune response, but we know that the immune response is good enough for some immunity. Um, and so you're protected with the vaccine um, against those variants, but it's still important because of the variants and the risk of more variants to still wear the mask, wash the hands, keep the distance, even if you're vaccinated. Um, so I think uh, just reminding people that just because you've had your vaccine, you can't completely relax yet um, is the important conversation to have about variants. Yeah, that, that, that people seem to get very focused on a specific variant or um want to talk about you know, all the different kinds of variants where I think we need to get them focused on the vaccine and not so much the variants. I think there's wording used around mutations and you know, people are imagining things about these, the virus that's happening. Is that, Ross, can you just speak a little bit about mutations and is, is that something to be expected obviously in viruses? And can you speak a little about that for us? Sure, well, uh, viruses frequently mutate. And um, RNA viruses are particularly susceptible to mutating because they don't do what's called error checking. When they make a copy of themselves, it's a sloppy copy. And, and so the virus constantly changes itself. But, but coronaviruses are different. They actually have what's called proofreading. So they actually have an enzyme that checks to make sure they're correct. So they mutate at a slower rate than a lot of other RNA viruses. Um, which means the same strains keep going around. Because if we have lots of mutations, we'd be seeing many strains. And instead, we see strains that are defined spreading through communities. Um, so it's an expected part of a virus. And it's something that we actually can, can adapt with and deal with. Because for example, we know that people uh, who had these South African strain, the B1351, um, those people are pretty much immune to all the other viruses that we know about because they've taken their sera and studied the other viruses and shown good immune reaction. So we could make a virus using that or a vaccine using that virus um, as, as the core and probably create what would be a pan-COVID vaccine in the future. Yeah, I think that's really an important point that, you know, the technology that we've used to develop the vaccine so far are going to help us re react to the variants if they develop, become a problem against these particular vaccines. So I think that's a really good point. 
Um, Eric, did you have a point to make? Yeah, and I'd also say um, to my patients especially, the quicker everyone gets vaccinated, the less likely that we're going to see more variants. Um, and so being afraid of variants is more of a reason to get vaccinated soon because a virus that doesn't have a host can't change. Um, and so that's a really important point for pretty much all the people who are a little hesitant about getting it because of that. Yeah, that's a very good point. The best way is to decrease the amount of virus that's circulating. And the way to do that is to is to get vaccinated and get it, as many people as possible vaccinated. So that's very, very helpful information. So I'm going to probably come to all of you just to get your view on this. Um, I think the issues around infertility have been really been perpetuated in many different settings that we've been hearing, um, whether, whether, whether people are meaning to do it with accurate, there's no accurate information here, but it almost at times seems it can be somewhat malicious because there's so much misinformation. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about infertility. Separate from pregnancy, we'll talk about pregnancy in a minute. But what are you hearing around the issues of infertility and people's concerns? Are you hearing concerns, Anthea? I'll be honest with you, not not often. You know, I hear it. I, I feel like more in the in the media and sometimes on social media than when I'm actually hearing from patients. You know, I did have one um, young woman. She was an ICU nurse in her early 30s. You know, looking forward to having a child, and she had some hesitation about getting it done. She asked great questions. I answered those for her, letting her know that we have absolutely no data, no scientific evidence saying that there is, you know, any association with um, with infertility. And I also send people, because sometimes, you know, them listening to an infectious diseases doctor or, you know, um, their family practitioner isn't enough. I send them and say, speak to your gynecologist uh, about this. Go to the, you know, American College of Obstetrics and, and Gynecologists. Go to, go to their website because it's wonderful that they actually have it there in black and white, that there is no evidence be be behind this. So, you know, it's easy to hear from your primary care doctor, easy to hear from me as your infectious disease doctor, but go to the source of, you know, of, um, you know, who can give you the, the, the best information. And that is your OBGYN. You can go to the CDC web website. Um, so it's just, I think it's all about talking to individual people, talking to individual patients and letting them know that, that that's not the case, answering all of their questions, no matter how, um, and none of, no questions are trivial. Like, you know, you may think, Hey, Tell me why you think that, but open those ears, listen, and explain things to people. And you'll be really surprised at how often, you know, at the end of the conversation, she said, okay, sure, that, that sounds like a plan. And she ended up getting, getting vaccinated. It's all about being a, a listening ear and answering those questions for, from anyone who asks. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's fantastic. Mamie, is that something... The infertility question that's coming up in folks that you're talking to as well? It, it has recently, um, and I think part of it is that there is a very savvy social media um, person who propagated that myth and that rumor, and um, the, the platform that they use looks really official. So as Anthea as mentioned, 
And uh, one of the ways that we um, try to refute it is to have folks to go to places like the CDC website um, that discusses it uh, in particular and how um, that particular social media post talked about the proteins being the same. It, it sounded really scientific, but it just was not true in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And so having folks to go to reputable resources to get their information seems to help with those uh, fears. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. You know, it is hard for folks to sometimes sort out what's uh, official information on social media and what's a reliable, accurate source. So trying to lead people to the places that there is accurate information that they'll trust is, is a really, really good point. Um, Ross, anything on this? Because this infertility question, I know young men have, I've heard about this on college campuses is um, also causing issues. Have you heard anything more? I haven't heard anything on the male side. I, what I've read has been mostly because of the result of, you know, those fake um, social media posts. Um, it, it's it, it's been made into something that looks real when it isn't real, which seems to be all too common these days. Um, and, and my answer would be, think about it. Uh, what would be more likely to damage you in the long run, having COVID or getting the vaccine? And, and I can assure you, getting COVID is much more likely, and particularly if you are pregnant, is much more likely to lead to a bad outcome um, than getting the vaccine. Yeah, I think we definitely know that pregnant women are at high risk with COVID infection. So I think that's a really, really good point around pregnancy. Eric, did you have anything that you've come across? Yeah, so just to echo Ross's point, so there is a study going on right now in Florida looking at how the virus affects fertility in males. Um, and so that will be interesting to see the results, but we do know the vaccine doesn't cause any issues. I will say as far as pregnancy, I think it was Anthea earlier who mentioned the American College of Researchers in Gynecology, and they have come out over the last couple of weeks and said that um, there is data now that we that pregnant women are able to pass those antibodies on to their um, babies through either pregnancy or um, through breastfeeding. And so during pregnancy, getting vaccinated as early as possible in the pregnancy is better. Um, and so we really recommend first, second trimester ladies, and we do know that it's safe um, for them to be able to get vaccinated and much better for the baby um, after the delivery. Yeah, and I think the CDC is also tracking all those deliveries and have seen no negative outcomes in babies at all. So that's that's great. And if anything, very positive outcomes. Um, I guess the one, one other thing to discuss is around some of the ways to approach folks that may come from different points of view. Um, we, we are hearing more about maybe rural populations of folks and conservative uh, folks who, are, who have concerns um, are you are you running into those patients, um, Mamie, that uh, that require maybe a little bit of a different approach? Have you heard some of those concerns? So. I will say this, not so much rural, <laughs> unbelievably in middle Tennessee, but I'm in uh, Nashville, uh, fairly urban area. So, but what um, I will say is that you, we hear from the same patients over and over again, the same um, concerns and the same um, 
myths that they wholeheartedly believe. And so finding a way to give them the information in fresh and new ways to help them to, um, as Ross pointed out, realize which would be worse, you know, contracting the illness or getting the vaccine um, can be uh, where you spend a lot of your time. And part of what I've been able to do going out into the community and to churches and talking to folks is that I'm able to connect because I'm a member of the community. I'm a member of those, you know, church settings and I've been vaccinated. My mother's been vaccinated. We talk about that in and around in our circles and that's helped. And so I think that's one thing that, you know, healthcare providers across the board will have to, um, you know, be more willing to do is to continue to have the same conversations, sometimes with the same people, to be able to help them to realize which would be, you know, a better outcome for them, getting the vaccine, you know, or not. So. Yeah, I think that's a really good point of making sure that we, when somebody maybe initially says no, that we don't just say, okay, they said no, but to re-engage folks, right? Continuing to engage folks so that we keep, um, keep them, know that we care about them and make sure that we're coming back to them. Is that, Eric, I know you're in, you're in rural, you work in rural communities. So yeah, yeah. tell me what, what you're hearing around some of these issues. Yeah, I'm in a no stoplights kind of area, but um, the uh, the the interesting thing here has been um, there have not been a lot of people who are just unreasonable. I think there are people who believe what they believe because of the media outlets that they're watching or the social media people that they follow. Um, but people tend to trust their physician and um, or their healthcare provider if they're seeing a, a APP. But um, I, I think being able to have a conversation where people feel heard um, and are able to voice their concerns and have their questions answered in a way they understand from a person they trust, um, I think we've seen that that works. Unfortunately, having one-on-one -on -one conversations with 300 million people takes time. Um, but um, it, it, it works and I, I, I think that we have to um, continue to have those conversations as Mamie said, continue to remind people how important this is and how they're part of a group project is the way I tend to say it. Like everyone remembers the group project in high school where a couple people didn't do their part and everybody gets the same zero. Um, and so we, we have to hold each other accountable for being a part of the group and um, just make sure that everyone understands how they fit into the bigger picture. Um, because currently we live in a world of individualism and we don't always see each other as a part of this big group project. Um, so I, I try to remind them of that and answer questions and be completely honest and transparent with people. Um, and I, I think that's a recipe for eventually getting more people vaccinated. I love your analogies, timeouts, group project. A, this is perfect. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think the, the idea of the of engaging with the primary care physician who people trust is something we've got to continue to understand better, especially as we get to the folks who may be in this movable middle and even folks who initially refused, if we can really 
get people who they trust, um, like their primary care provider or local pharmacist or nurse practitioner. I think all of those folks are really important in, our, in the work that we're doing. Um, let's talk a little bit. I think you men mentioned the individualism. I think we are hearing from some individuals who won't get the vaccine because they believe their rights are being infringed, right? Um, that somebody's telling them what to do. And in other examples, people, you know, there are some con consideration about colleges and others mandating the vaccines. Are you, what kind of response are you hearing um, from, from folks you're work, dealing with, particularly those you're working with around those kinds of issues? Zanthea, is that anything you've heard about? So it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, not, not really. Um, but I think it's because I live in in Atlanta at, around Emory, and and you know a lot of people in my inner circle are um, you know all about vaccines. But things are different when I go home to Southern Alabama. People definitely you know are saying, oh, you know it's it's my right not to have to get the vaccine. We don't want big government, et, et cetera. But what I like to tell people is is you know, there are rules that we have kind of for your individual safety and for public safety. You know, we have to wear our, our seat belts. You have to go through, um, you know, security when you, when you um, um, go fly. So a lot of the, these things are not just about um, us, but they're also about, you know, kind of the, um, the, the, big, the big picture. And um, another thing that I found really helpful in um, kind of connecting to folks, you know, when they say, oh, I feel like, um, you know, um, people are trying to make me do something that I, I don't want to do. I really think that what connects us all is we all love our families. We all love our, our, our friends. And when I'm talking to people about vaccines, I always ask, you know, who do you live with? Who's, you know, who's the closest to you? And kind of sharing with them how them getting the vaccine will, you know, decrease the likelihood of them transmitting something to their grandmother with diabetes, their, you know, their nephew with, you know, with sickle cell, their loved one who happens to have, happens to have, um, have cancer. So kind of taking it from an individual conversation about how it may affect you. And some people aren't really um, kind of feeling the responsibility of, you know, everyone in the United States, but what people love are their loved ones. Yeah. So having those conversations with them about, um, you know, what they can do to protect their, their families. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important. I think, you know, again, emphasizing that there may be people, you mentioned the loved one with cancer, that loved one with cancer may not be able to mount as good an immune response as, as a healthy person. So we need to make sure everybody's protecting all these vulnerable folks within our communities, even if they're vaccinated, I think is, a, is an important piece. I mean, we, vaccine will be protective, but it may not be as protective for some folks as, a, as a, with chronic health conditions like cancer, for example, or on chemotherapy, for example. So I think that's important. Is that, Ross, does that make sense? Is that how we would? Uh, that makes very good sense. I, I, I like to um, think about it or have people ask, um, ask the person, are you worried about COVID? Are you worried about catching it? Are you worried about spreading it to friends? Are you worried about going to the store, to church services, to getting together with people, uh, either because you'd catch it or spread it? And the answer, if, if any of the answers is yes, 
then, then you, you could be relieved. You don't have to have that worry because the vaccine will take care of it. Uh, and then you don't have to be so concerned about these things. You don't have to worry about infecting your grandmother or, or infecting somebody else that you care about. So I, I tend to try and make it personal uh, and say, I acknowledge, and, and most people are worried who aren't vaccinated. And, and I can say, even in my case, getting my second dose two weeks later, I just felt like a weight was off my shoulders. Yeah. Very much so, very much so. So I, I think I'm gonna end with a couple, one question maybe for Mamie and Eric to think about and, and give us their best answer. If you could speak directly to folks who are con, you know, concerned about getting the vaccine, what's the one message you would want them to hear right now? Um, Eric, any, any response to that? Um, yes, I would say, remember that you always have someone you can talk to um you know primary care urgent care you know that most people if you really try have access to a healthcare provider and if you ever have questions that are specific to your condition your issues um things that you've heard then you know there are people who are available to answer those questions and um, a lot of times random people on the internet probably aren't the best option. Um, so please talk to someone who gets paid to answer those questions for you and who you can trust. Um, and that, that would be my advice. Um, if you don't have a physician, you are probably healthy enough to get your vaccine. Um, and so we, we recommend it and um, we stand behind it. It's why we got it. Um, and I would say, um, please do your part. Great. Mamie, anything else? Sure. I'd uh, like to just piggyback on what Eric said. And I think, um, of course, speaking to your um, trusted healthcare provider is, of course, um, a great way to approach it. But also, um, if they would talk to the folks in their circle who they know that have been vaccinated and find out from them, you know, what was the deciding factor for those folks? Talk to them about what it's been like since they've been vaccinated. As Ross pointed out, that sense of relief of knowing that you won't be able to transmit this to a loved one. And as Xanthia said, you know, those are the folks that they love. So if you have someone in your circle who has been vaccinated, you know, after you've exhausted talking to healthcare providers and maybe you're still, um, you know, leery or whatever, um, speak to to those in your circle who have gotten it and what convinced them and, and just have a real robust discussion around how well they feel now that they've been vaccinated. And I think for a lot of folks, just reminding them too, that we won't get to this new version of the pre-COVID um, normalcy until we have you know enough folks vaccinated. And that's one thing that I always work with folks to understand. Very good. Thank you to all of you for joining us on Beyond the White Coat. And we wanna thank you for everything each of you is doing in your communities during these very, very difficult times. I've learned a lot from all of you. Um, and for those who are listening, if you're, already, if you're not already vaccinated and still have questions about COVID-19, just like Dr. Bonner said and, and uh, 
Mamie also, soon to be Dr. Williams said, um, talk to your doctor, your nurse, your local pharmacist, or a vaccinated family member, and visit cdc.gov and your local county uh, health department website for the latest information on COVID-19, the COVID-19 vaccines, and where to find them. Thank you very much. This AAMC project is funded by a cooperative agreement from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, improving clinical and public health outcomes through national partnerships to prevent and control emerging and re-emerging infectious disease threats. Award number 1NU50CK000586-01-2022. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is an agency within the Department of Health and Human Services. The information included does not necessarily represent the policies of the CDC or HHS and should not be considered an endorsement by the federal government.